we've barely talked about the guy who tried to lobotomize me. I hope when they were writing that, they at least laughed when they were writing it. Like, they, we're going to screw this guy. Look how funny this is. That's the thing about subways, though, because there's never any seats because of all the space taken up by the safety devices. The more you know, I read <laughs> it's just about, the stupidest you know, thing. everything that went down and stuff like that, really, the more, kind of, uh, the more I feel stupid about everything I've ever said about Things it. Things have to work both ways. So if you do something heroic, you deserve every accolade thrown your way. All right. When you bitch out, there was no special relationship with anyone. So they could go in and hang out with the conductor. Maybe he would let them blow the horn or something. I don't know. Um, But I I guess as long as there was no conversation with any of the passengers, they were free to stay in there and I could glance over and you saw blood. You saw red. You saw this. You just saw carnage. To this day, there is nobody that will ever change my mind. To this day, there is nobody that will ever change my mind that they wanted no part of me in court i i would have crucified when you bitch out like these two did then someone has to be held accountable i think what people need to understand is that i'm so passionate about this because i feel like i'm right i have to i have to say the more i read about you know everything that went down and stuff like that really the more kind of uh, the more i feel stupid about everything i've ever said about it <laughs> it's such a uh, why is that cuz it's just so uh it's it's such a trauma you know yeah. yeah basically i mean listen what i've always tried to tell people is this when you're in an incident similar to i was in generally the biggest asshole in the whole incident should be the guy with the knife that tried to kill you mm-hmm. In my story, he's like fourth or fifth if you rank them. So that kind of says a lot. Yeah. Fourth or fifth. Yeah. I mean, uh, so we obviously have uh, Taylor and Howell. Yeah, Taylor Howell would be there, and I'm gonna put I'm gonna give Howell the, the top spot based yes. on size, gender, and um, tenure, um, and because he seemed to be the one that got most of the glory as the hero of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that so I'm going to give him that. Although maybe I shouldn't, because maybe it kind of makes him appear chivalrous, where he would go, "No, Tamara, you stand back. I'll handle this." Where he probably was hiding behind her. He was, yeah, but he would so, be the presumed Batman, right? Right. You know. So, um, so yeah, they would be ahead of him. Um, Judge Chan, one of the more corrupt judges in New York, uh, she would be ahead of them. So those would be the definite three. Then, you know, like maybe, um, like I want to be, up, I want to be upset with Michael Jibik, the attorney for Corporation Counsel, but I really can. I actually, there, I, I respect him a little bit because I think he knew that, you know, getting me in a courtroom was a bad idea. So he did everything he could to avoid that. So in a way I, I respect him, uh, but he could still kiss my ass. Right, yeah. Because so. well, by, by respect, you mean he's a guy who's like, uh, in the same way you'd like respect uh, like Ted Bundy or something for being like, when it comes to serial killing, boy, he really had that down. Right, yeah, exactly. It's like, well, he's good at his job. You know, I mean, and Ted Bundy, that was that more of a hobby? Because I don't think he ever paid for it. But uh, yeah. you know, Jim Bick, at least. He never did. went pro all those No, years. no, yeah. <laughs> he never lost his amateur status. Uh-huh. So, uh, but yeah, it's like, you know, you, I'm dealing with three people. I'm dealing with Terrence Howell who's a gutless coward and keep in mind you know if anyone's ever met me I'm, I'm a pretty large person and he's bigger than i am and he has a gun and he has a nightstick and he has mace 
And he has the element of surprise, all working on his side. Well, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And not, uh, to, not to cut in, but he yeah. also has his responsibility, his yeah. sense of duty. He's being paid to do this. Allegedly. And uh, so then you have Tamara Taylor, basically the same thing as Terrence Howell, just uh, smaller and less experienced, but still with the same equipment. And then you have Judge Chen, who seems like she might be in cahoots with the whole New York City or the NYPD, where stuff gets thrown out. It's ironic. So it just always seems where she's involved in cases that make you shake your head when they're dismissed. Oh, really? Yes. Are, are you familiar with some of her other work? Well, I can tell you one, because then what happens is once you get screwed, you know, then you want to be like, well, okay, I'm going to find out what's going on with this one. Mm-hmm. And there was a case, and uh, if you, if people Google this, it'll obviously read better than how I'm going to probably butcher it right now. But there was a case where I believe it was a woman was having a heart attack. And she was with someone in her family, maybe her mother, her sister, whatever it was. And the relative called 911. And uh, they said, okay, you know, get an ambulance there right away, whatever. And I don't know what happened, but uh, they took forever to get there. It was like uh, just a crazy amount of time. Eventually, the woman ends up dying because they never, they got there, they took forever. So... Now the family brings a lawsuit against the city, basically saying, hey, you know, you guys screwed up. My my sister, my daughter, whatever, would still be alive if you guys did your job. And someone needs to be held accountable. So this is presented to Judge Margaret A. Chan, and Margaret A. Chan dismisses the case. And the reason why she dismissed the case was because the person that was having the heart attack was the one that needed to make the phone call. From the smallest room in New York City comes a show that gives you a reason to live. Murder, murder, terror in New York. A butcher from Brighton Beach, the seminal criminal of New York City Crime Report. His murder career, less than killer, ended by a stellar single leg takedown by the Lincoln Center ticket taker who took action with a move 20 years in the making. Mad Max, shredding human flesh with an eight inch butcher's knife, three people stabbed to death, a hit and run homicide, four other stabbings, two carjackings, stealing a total of four cars, death threats against several others who got in the way, hundreds of cops mobilized in a dangerous manhunt. For millions of New Yorkers, the round the clock nightmare, a killer on the loose in the city. In a 28 hour spree of violence, mayhem, and murder, which started in violent Brooklyn. In violent Brooklyn, 5.09 a.m., the killer claimed his first victim in Sheepshead Bay. 23-year-old Maxime Gelman viciously attacked his mother's companion, Alexander Kustenstoff. <laughs> Gelman, the only son of his immigrant parents, his dad went back to Ukraine. Leaving Max and his mother in Sheepshead Bay, and Gelman didn't even become a citizen until 2005. Chronically unemployed, graffiti vandal, reputed to be a drug dealer, He's not one of those come over here and take our jobs kind of immigrants. Murdering the 54-year-old Amulet driver, repeatedly stabbing him with an 8-inch kitchen knife, his mother's companion. 
Well, because he wouldn't let Gelman use his Lexus. Wash that knife before you use it again, Maxime. After stabbing Kuznetsov 11 or 12 times, Gelman himself called the police. Gelman called the police to report the murder before driving off in the Lexus without permission. His blood churning from spilling the old man's. He drove it like he murdered the owner. Then he was on a mission. As he drove away, he clipped a crossing guard out of recklessness or rage, breaking the victim's leg. And when uh, guarding a crossing, you need two legs. Needless to say, Mad Max didn't stop to wait for the ambulance to arrive. Joining me today in this uh, special uh, episode of New York City Crime Report, Jim Polk, a criminal defense attorney who's uh, been on the program a number of times. Hey, Jim. Hi, Pat. It's uh, good to have you back on again, well, as thank always. You. Yeah. Hey, so, uh, you know, um, we're going to go over this murder, uh, uh, this, this murder spree of Gelman. You remember this case. Oh, huh? very it's, it's well. Now, now the, uh, he, he, he first went to the home of Yelena Belchenko on East 24th Street near Avenue Y. Then he was obsessed with the 20-year-old dental receptionist. He thought there was something between them. Uh, you know, there's there's a Ukrainian uh, proverb. Is there? Yes. Love tells us many things that are not so. It's yeah. a very good proverb. It is. I, it's, it's, I, I can relate to that I think, proverb. Uh, another thing uh, uh, that tells us things that are not so, PCP. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Whatever. Molly's acid. There's a lot of things that tell us things that aren't so. Some crack. Whatever nothing the two of them had shared was long over. Going from a whisper of a tryst to a scream as he stalked the girl, becoming ever more unhinged. Gelman first murdered Anna Belchenko, who was alone in the house at the time. That was her mother. Then he left, and he spent a couple of hours at this little hut that he had set up. I think if he stopped there, it would have been bad, but not really awful. Because we've all dreamed of killing our wives or girlfriends, mothers at some point in our lives. Yeah, and, and you know, stepdad, that's a given. Yeah, you know? easy. I mean, you want the keys. He left, uh, and, and, then he re- and when he came back, uh, he, then he killed Yelena. Uh, which, and she was hot. That's a foul. Yeah, yeah. She, she was a very attractive woman. Uh, and and uh, she had just gotten off work, a hard day of work. So it's no, that's not what you want to do at the end of a hard day of work. In a dentist's office, which I think is one of the worst places to have to work. Gelman uh, then carjacked a guy, stole a man's Pontiac Bonneville, and in the process stabbed the owner, Arthur DiCrescento, several times in the chest. These guys on a spree here. He uh, badly injured uh, Arthur DiCrescento, uh, uh, and he, he walked a few steps from the scene, this guy. He's kind of heavy guy. Yeah. He walks out away from his Bonneville. Meanwhile, uh, Gelman's left, and he just collapsed. I think this is actually the point where you should... If you're going to go on a killing spree like this, you should do it in a richer neighborhood. Mm. So you don't end up having to steal a Pontiac Bonneville. I'd go for, like, a Ferrari. Come on now, the Bonneville... Uh, it's a reliable automobile, but I mean, if you're going down on several murders, probably car theft, a wild crime spree, you're going to get caught. You're going to go to jail. At least you could say I drove a Lamborghini. Well, it's a part-time vehicle uh, at this point anyway. Well, I, I mean, mean, that's uh, my point, you know? Yeah. Uh, the citywide uh, manhunt is in effect. In this, you know, he actually used the Bonneville. He might not have been that great of a car in your mind, but uh, I'll tell you what, it was reliable enough to uh, kill Stephen Tannenbaum. Yeah, it got the job done, I guess. Ran over a 62-year-old guy, and and uh, and he did. Now, uh, Gelman was reported hiding in the garage. He wasn't found. And uh, cops used tracking dogs to follow the killer's scent to a cinder block shack between a Long Island Railroad overpass. And he'd spray-painted a red heart. Yelena scrawled in the center inside. Needless uh, to say, there were beer cans and needles and spray-paint cans. You know, the kind of things that graffiti vandals have when they're on drugs. And uh, this was just a few yards from the tracks. And the Bonneville was there still running. 
And hours after hitting Tannenbaum, Gelman flagged down a livery cab. This is driven by Fitz Fullerton in Crown Heights. Now, uh, that's, uh, Crown Heights, an excellent neighborhood to hijack a livery cab. I, yeah. He pushed his way in. He put his knife into Fullerton's neck, or against the neck, rather. And Fullerton grabbed the knife, fighting for his life. While the car drifted, no one at the wheel. And if, if Fullerton is um, a regular livery cab driver in Crown Heights, this is not the first time that's happening. No, he's used to it. That's how he knew what to do. Yeah. The car collided with a parked van, and then Gelman ran off. He soon approached a Nissan Altima, he, and, and he got into that, too. He told the driver, uh, Shelding Pottinger, he said, I'm going to kill you. And Pottinger just uh, slid over to the passenger side and let him get in. I feel like these names are like from a law school hypothetical. Oh, yeah, is that what they sound like? <laughs> yeah, like Fritz Fullerton, Sheldon yes. Pottinger. You know? I, I, they're very interesting names, I agree. Cling, it's not like Jack O'Donnell. You know? <laughs> clinging to Gelman's hand, uh, which held the knife, um, he, uh, he, 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 they went about two blocks, and he leapt out, the fast-moving vehicle. This is a, even, even this is pretty traumatic. You know? this, is, this is one of the less traumatic. But, I mean, you know, somebody gets in your car, you get carjacked. This would be you know, the, the story of the year for most of us. Yeah, right? yeah, this would be the worst thing that happened to us. Uh, Maybe ever. Yeah. He, he, he jumps out of the car, he, he survives. Uh, miraculously. So police searched for Gelman throughout the night. When the morning came, the killer was still at large. Wild Spree was front page news. Now, this takes us to Saturday morning, 8.45 a.m. Downtown one train carried passengers through the Upper West Side. Woman was reading about Gelman in the Daily News. You know Gelman anyway. You see these photos of him. He's this crazy-eyed guy, you know? Yeah. And uh, he's, um, you know, he's he's uh, he's on drugs. He's uh, mm-hmm. you know, Now he's on a spree. I actually watched a boxing match last night, Ko- Kovalev versus uh, Pascal. You did. For the uh, light heavyweight title, and I thought Kovalev looked exactly like Gelman to me. A Russian guy. Like a big, strong Russian, and Kovalev was pretty nasty in the fight. Like, uh, Gelman, Gelman looked scary. He, he, he does look scary. Uh, he's, he was 23 old, uh, years old at the time. Four murders under, under his belt. I guess he's not undefeated because, uh, you know, Pottinger and Fullerton... Yeah, yeah, uh, he's, he's yeah. They got away, but uh, he's four and two. I would I would guess. Uh, oh no, no. Also Arthur DiCrescento. Oh yeah, yeah. But but uh, he's so he's got an MMA record, not really a prize fighting. He's record. he's not even trying to necessarily kill everyone at this point. Yeah, it's just, just what he needs. He's a, he's a murderer. He's a, so anyways he's, he's he 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 walks up to this woman, you know, because she's reading the newspaper. A woman on the on the on the train there heading down from 137th Street and. Uh, She's reading about about Gelman. He knocks the newspaper out of her hands. So some guy knocks the newspaper. She looks up and it's him. He says, "Do you believe what they're writing about me?" <laughs> this is, is a chance to say no. <laughs> I sure don't. You seem like a nice guy. <laughs> Let me just. Uh, get and off I don't the train remember here. your face at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, what do you say to that? Really, you know, do you, believe, yeah. do you believe what they're saying? Take it easy. There's no such thing as bad publicity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The lady got off at 96th and told police, and then Gelman rode the one train down to 34th. Cat and mouse situation began to unfold there. And there's an energy on the 34th Street platform uh, of the one train. Uh, the cops are around. Something's up. One witness says, when I boarded the train at Penn Station, a good amount of people boarded, and I noticed there were two police officers boarding with me. And you could hear on their walkie-talkies that something was going on. They were there for a reason. Officers were picking their way through cars, quietly, desperately searching for the killer. Twice spotted on the one train. And they, they thought that he was still in the subway system. They were right. Two officers stepped onto an uptown three train, and they went into the motorman's booth in the lead car. Subway riders had spotted Gelman. Moments later, Brooklyn Butcher, Maxime Gelman, stepped onto the same car as the cops. 
It was a bad time also to be an innocent Russian young man riding the subway. Yeah. At this point. There's hardly a there's hardly a parallel situation for that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. He was also uh, noticeable. Uh, I mean, obviously, his photo was splashed all over the papers at this point. Yeah. So uh, he was. And he also had an Arab. I, I remember reading it in the Daily News. I yes. Do. He, he, he carried a, an air of menace when he stepped onto the train. They could tell someone wasn't right. One witness described him as looking shady. That's a good description. Yeah. And then uh, one, uh, a witness from Philadelphia had, who hadn't seen the papers that day had said, well, I didn't know what he had done, but he was definitely someone I was hoping everyone was keeping an eye on. I Ooh. kept an eye on him, and it looked like everyone else was watching him, too. Gelman banged on the door of the motorman's booth where the two cops, officers Terrence Howell and Tamara Taylor, had stationed themselves. He demanded to be let in. The witness from Philadelphia said, when I first saw this man approach the motorman's quarters, he just looked off. He just looked like there was something about him. When he started knocking on the window, telling the police to let him in, it set up a red flag. So Gelman banged on the door of the booth. He said, it's the police. Officer Howell, veteran cop, looked at the spree killer, the crazed, armed man that hundreds of cops were chasing. He said, Himself no. included. And he said, no, you're not. Well, now. Yeah. Those are fighting words. Gelman walked away, paced toward the other side of the car. Then Gelman came back towards our passenger from Philadelphia, seated right next to the motorman's booth, where the cops are still inside. And the wild-eyed killer drew close, and he told the man, he said, you're going to die, you're going to die. And he started slashing, uh, and he he slashed the flesh right beneath his left eye. Mm -hmm. At that point, the passenger swept Gelman's leg, tackling him, Putting the killer on his back, even as he continued to stab the man in the back of his head. It's a struggle. Wow. The man was trying to get control of his wrist. And the man told Gelman, you better hope that I die, because if I don't, I'm going to come kill you. And when the knife was out of Gelman's hands and the killer was on his back, Officer Howell came out. He said, we'll take it from here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So Gelman was cuffed, and that man nearly bled to death. It was uh, said to be likely by the cops on the way out, which he later found out means probably going to die. Yes, likely is a... And... uh, Likely a murder victim. That man is Joe Lazito, and that's uh, who we've been listening to a conversation uh, with myself and Joe Lazito. Uh, He has a new book, The New York Subway Hero, My Battle with Evil and a Spree Killer. What does that mean? Who's the well, evil? I think the better. I, I think. I think you missed a part of the description. The actual title is the New York City subway hero: colon my battle with evil. Dot 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 and a subway killer and a spree killer or yes. and a spree killer. I'm sorry. Two yes. exclamation points. Yes, I think. I think. Uh, but my reading of it was also accurate. I but, mean, it's but, yes. But but, I, but it's it, yeah. Let's it, note the title because yeah. it's it's this book is is so uh, informative and worth reading and interesting and it's, it's gripping because and, this is written, you know, Joe, Joe wrote this himself. And it's, 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 yeah, it's the kind of book you, you read it. And I mean, I, I've been, I've been recently reading it and it's uh, very good, very well written. And it's also short. Like yeah. you can get through this in an evening. It's short. And uh, well, you can get it through it in an evening. It, it took me uh, a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the fastest. Uh, I don't, I don't have your law school education, Jim. Uh, I'm used to reading the New York Post. <laughs> This is written uh, on a slightly higher level than the New York Post. <laughs> yeah, than all those professional writers they employ. But it is, however, uh, it, and, and the thing, the great thing about this book, and I tell Joe this, and uh, you'll just have to tolerate hearing it more than once, it's like you're talking to him, because like after I read this for a little while, I felt mm-hmm. like we've been having a conversation. Um, and 
the thing is, I've I've interviewed Joe a few times. Mm-hmm. Every time I do, we did a live show with him. Yes, and I feel like a moron. I feel, <laughs> because Joe is a. I don't know. He's, I feel like a pansy. Even this struggle. Yeah, that too. Because <laughs> believe me, I'm the guy who gets on the train while there's a mass murder, sees two cops in the motorman's coach, and would be the guy sitting right where Joe was thinking, well, that's got to be the best place to sit when there's a spree killer. <laughs> right next to the two armed police. Oh, oh, which is, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, ta- ta- you, 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 would think, you would think it would be, right? Right. I mean, that seems like that has got to be the safest place on a subway while this is going on. Yeah. Uh, and I guess there was not a safe place on the subway. Quite opposite, in fact. I mean, it seems like, yeah, Joe Joe became the target solely because of this. And, and it was a random uh, attack. There yeah. Was no, you know, uh, there was no special relationship between Maxime <laughs> Gaiman. Yeah, the special... <laughs> And Joe Lazito, uh, and in fact, Ray Kelly uh, says, what's so horrendous and bizarre? We have no reason that we can give you as to why he did this. None at all. You know, um, Gelman himself said, uh, after his arrest, I'm, arrest, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> he said, this is what he told the cops. He said, I wish you had shot me. I would have been better off if you shot me. Possibly true. Well, you know, luck always seems to be against the man who depends on it. <laughs> Ukrainian proverbs. Is that you and your proverbs? Yes, I mean, I've got a, I've got a few Ukrainian proverbs here for you. Uh, of course, uh, Maxim Gelman from Ukraine. Uh, here's one: uh, Only when you have eaten a cockroach do you appreciate soup. I've I, appreciated soup. Did I say I disagree with that? <laughs> never eaten a cockroach. How bad is Ukrainian soup? No matter how hard you try, a bull will never give milk. We have variations of that one here. Only cheese in a mousetrap can be free. Well, that's, 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 I mean, I think that's from a Dylan song. One of my favorites uh, on that term was always uh, nothing is more expensive than free. I feel like that's, that's Mm -hmm. a play on that. Work and you will be strong. Sit and you will rot. Women and dogs set men together by their ears. I don't know what that means. I honestly, it would take me a while to put that together. Yeah, and I'm now finally, it. the cock won't do it unless the hen asks for it. The defense rests. <laughs> I think we have a new anti-rape slogan. You know, uh, that seems like yes means yes. It does sound like yes means yes. <laughs> Joe Zito is a guy who, without whom we might not even have a show. Because yeah. um, I, when I read about this takedown and the way the, the confrontation ended with the spree killer, Maxime Gelman... I remember just thinking, this doesn't get talked about enough. This should be a show. This should be a movie. Mm-hmm. And we started doing this. Um, we started doing this show. Now Joe has been involved in a legal battle, which it appears is at kind of a standstill because of uh, well, legal procedure, I guess, Jim. Yeah, I mean, yeah realistically, Joe. Uh, Joe, I guess, filed suit against the uh, city of New York and specifically the New York City Police Department mm-hmm. officers Howell and Taylor. And um, uh, recently, Judge Chan in the New York City Civil Courts uh, dismissed his uh, lawsuit. She did, and and uh, it's it, you know it's it's unfortunate because certainly he deserves to have his, uh, his day in court. There's certainly no more of a hero. I mean, let's let's sum up exactly what he did. Uh, while the city is gripped in the terrors of this like, movie-like villain mm-hmm. who's rampaging through the streets, stopping at nothing to meet his bizarre drug-addicted. Agenda. Yes. He's big, he's strong, he's killed before, he's armed, and then he attacks Joe, and Joe manages to subdue, manages to fight him down, mm-hmm. realistically, to fairly significant injury to himself. His head was all slashed up. The picture on the cover of his book is, shows him 
basically fountaining blood. Yes, it's gruesome. Uh, you know, as he describes it, it, it it's like a Halloween mask mm-hmm. that hasn't been tucked in yet. The skin hanging off his skull, and he's um, it brutalized in this attack. And when we saw him, I mean, I believe almost a year and a half after this incident, he still had large visible scars on him. Still does. Yeah. So, so he. This is what he did, and and what did he get in return? He got zilch. And I mean, the other thing about Joe is keep in mind this: Gelman wasn't done yet. God knows if Lizito hadn't stopped him, how many more would have suffered at his hands. And uh, Joe got nothing. Yeah. He got to write his book and come on your show. Yeah. It's, <laughs> which, sorry, Joe. You know, that's, um, that's unfortunate. And, uh, and you know, we, we just, I, I always want to just show maximum appreciation for, you know, Joe being a friend to the show and, and coming on the show and have, having patience with uh, my endless uh, stupid questions. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I would love to have you guys, uh, like, talk about some of the legal angles of this. But now, uh, they, it's said that there's no special relationship between, uh, uh, you know, Joe and these officers. Had, had, what, Can what you actually, encapsulate that in some legal way? Yeah, I mean, what what happened to poor Joe here is 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 procedure and the and the reality of the legal system. Um, to sue somebody, you have to have what's called a duty of care that is owed to a victim. For example, you own a store, you don't shovel the front walk. Somebody slips and breaks their arm. You owed a duty to your patrons to make it as safe as possible for them to come in your store. You would be sued, and you would be upheld to be sued. Now, if you own a store and you're walking in with your friend, you slip and break your arm, and your friend just walks in the store, buys his stuff, and leaves, that's kind of a dick move on your friend's part, but he didn't really owe you anything. He, didn't, he wasn't responsible for your care. He wasn't responsible for your safety. So therefore, you wouldn't be able to sue him. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the simplest way I can explain it. Now, what they're saying in this lawsuit, and uh, Joe filed a lawsuit. Uh, I, read the, I read the briefs, and I've read the judge's decision. What, what the judge says is that Sure, Joe uh, heroically stopped this spree killer. Uh, Joe suffered injuries at the hand of it, but these officers who Joe claims basically hid in a motorman's coach and has some evidence that indicates they hid in a motorman's coach. Mm -hmm. And there's other witnesses who say the same thing. Mm -hmm. And um, what they're saying to him is, is these officers can't be sued because Joe, they didn't owe Joe the duty to intervene. That Joe, because of whatever... That it's a shame what happened. They probably should have done something, but they didn't know them, and therefore they can't be sued. And this is news to most anybody who's it's, out walking the street, right? I mean, you think about it objectively, it's really a chilling precedent. Because it's not like Joe's sitting suing the guy who was sitting next to him. He's suing two armed police officers who are looking for the guy he's wrestling with. Yes. I mean, that's really what he's doing. And both of them have been in grand juries and have been in depositions saying that, yes, we were assigned to look for this gentleman. Both of them had an encounter with the gentleman only a few seconds before he attacked Joe. And they really did do nothing. Now, the other thing I believe that was in the lawsuit is they claimed that Joe, by sort of fighting back, if you will, by not utilizing the safety devices, which is an interesting term, mm-hmm. was a contributor in his own injuries. Yes. Saying that he shouldn't have fought back or he should have run off or he, he chose to engage a knife-wielding psychopath and it's a shame he got cut up, but he gets nothing for that. Yeah. That's really what they said. It's a twofold analysis. And really what happened, Pat, mm-hmm. really at the end of it, courts are incredibly reluctant to look backwards at the actions of police. Yes. They don't like to have a policy of city employees um, saying, well, you should have done this. You didn't do this, but you should have. 
therefore you get compensated. They, they don't like to do that because they, and there's, there's some logic to that. You want police to be able to act without the fear of reprisal and lawsuit. You want them to use their training and skills. I'm not sure how much I subscribe to that in this situation, but that is the argument. Right, and in this situation, there is an inc- there's a, a huge difference because of all the mitigating things that they're looking for the specific guy who made the attack. They'd already had contact with him. Yes, they uh, they really did nothing, uh, and they had time to intervene. Now uh, there was a guy who had a machete, and the cops took action on him, shot him. Now, like you say, they the courts are reluctant to take action, but they gave this guy. Who was, you know, really a guilty guy? I mean, like he, uh, mm-hmm. there was a, but the cops, you know, they 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 shot him, they didn't kill him, and he had a machete. He wouldn't put down the machete, and uh, they gave him five grand. Yep. He sued for a million. They gave him five grand because it would be cheaper that way than to litigate right. it. So, what makes Joe's case different? Well, if I'm correct on twofold, one is Joe kind of came before. Well, one thing I do know this from the political political spectrum. Bloomberg settled nothing. de Blasio settles everything. Mm-hmm. That's just been the rule right now. Had Joe been attacked when Bill de Blasio was mayor, the word on high to the law department for, for de Blasio was just settle the cases. Hence, you get 40 million if you're the Central Park Five. 41. 41, I'm sorry, 41 million if you're the Central Park Five, whereas Bloomberg, absolutely not. Fight it, take it to trial. Mm-hmm. So that was part of Joe's problem. That he had the wrong mayor. He really did. And second off, I mean, you know, different courts, different judges end up in different results. And, you know, $5,000, even if given to Joe, I think Joe would be happy to have it at this point. But realistically, I mean, it's, yeah, you would. But that's really kind of piss poor compensation for what they did to him. Moreover, a fundamental difference here is the police in the guy they shot with the machete actually did something. Mm -hmm. They actually fired the gun. And if you can prove that they did that willfully to to commit, you know, negligence, that's kind of the catch-all in the police. In the Joe Lazito situation, you're trying to get into the minds of the cops and they're saying, were you guys just pussies hiding in a carriage? <laughs> Are you, th- you're, you're trying to sue on what they didn't do, and it's always very hard to do that in a court. Ironically, Joe would have been probably better off with the guys who shot the machete guy. Yeah. I mean, you, 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 they, they at least took knife. action. Yeah. And, and it would have... Uh, it would have saved Joe a lot of blood, a lot of hospital mm-hmm. time, had had they had the the quick on the trigger cops. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in, in the in the motorman's coach that day. And let's be frank, it, it really is a miscarriage of justice here. Regardless, you know what I suggest they should do with Joe. What and you and I have talked about this, and I've said this to Joe. I, you should have dipped into the victims' compensation fund, come up with thirty to fifty thousand, give Joe a plaque from the city, you know, have him standing next to to Bloomberg, and say thank you, thank you. You did yeah. something extraordinary for the city of New York. Here's your compensation. You know, and, and I don't know it for a fact, and depending on the amount of money, and I know that, uh, you know, hey, like everybody, Joe has bills and mouths to feed, a family and stuff, but part of me thinks that Joe would give up all that if he could just hear these cops say, hey, uh, you're right, mm-hmm. we should have helped you, we didn't, and that we were scared, and... um we're going to not be cops anymore. And, and that should happen, in my opinion. There should These cops should be brought up on departmental, administrative, at the very least, misconduct charges. Because you look at it this way. I'm an attorney. I have to file briefs for clients. I have to file motions. I have to make court appearances. If I fail to do those things, that's my job. If I fail to do those things, cases die, rights aren't protected, and clients suffer. 
And what is my consequence is I get thrown before the ethics committee. I get thrown before a grievance committee. They could disbar me. They could fine me. They could suspend me. They could admonish me. There's a lot of things you could do. Now, these cops are police officers. They're sworn sacred oath, and they do take an oath when they do it, is to protect New York City. They receive special training. They receive a paycheck for it. They receive a badge that allows them to do things ordinary citizens can't do. That is their job. So whether they did anything illegal, whether they should be sued is one thing. They really failed to do their job. And the idea of a capitalist economy and the idea of our society is when you fail to do your job, there should be consequences to you. I mean, wouldn't even that, wouldn't and, that be nice? Yeah, every job. I mean, we were even talking about this. You're a comedian. Yes. You tell jokes. If people yeah. don't laugh, they boo, and you don't get booked. That seldom happens, but yes. Well, yeah, right. rarely. Yeah, I never seen it happen <laughs> to you. Well, uh, and obviously the stakes are a lot higher when you're somebody who is sworn into public. Uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a cop. You're given uh, a license to kill. A license to kill. The the means. Yeah. And and uh, sometimes even the permission. Yeah. Well. Sometimes you get medals for doing it. And, and as obviously <laughs> would have been the case in this situation, Absolutely. I don't think anybody would have complained if they would have filled the Gelman full of holes. No, I, I don't. I, I, and I think there would be probably no better example of a justified shooting. And think of it, 200 years in prison by the time he serves all that. That's well, it cost be... us a lot more than a than a than a dollar fifty nine hollow point nine millimeter jacketed shell. That is very true, and I don't think there would have been any lawsuit on the part of <laughs> Gelman's parents. Um, well, since he only had one remaining there in the house. Yeah, we have more of my interview with Joe Lazito coming up now as we address that uh, five thousand dollar machete uh, payout, which. I think we're all agreed was outrageous. This is just besides it being asinine, lends credence to my theory that they did not want to have me in court. Now, this is a guy they didn't have to give any money to. He would go to jail. I mean, I think even his own lawyer said that. Yeah, his lawyer said it might have been a good shooting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this guy, if he survived the whole incident, would be in jail. But not only that, now they're giving him $5,000. So I guess in their case, because they, you know, the... It's not, it is public knowledge in a sense. This whole police have no duty to protect nonsense because, uh, you know, every keyboard warrior in the comments section go, oh, it's Warren versus District of Columbia. You know, that's they don't have to protect you, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I guess some people know it, but the average person do, is not aware of this loophole that they used. And um, so I guess instead of coming to me and go, listen, this is bad press for us, let's give you X amount of dollars where maybe they figured oh, it might be the principle of the thing. He's going to want to take us to court. Maybe that's why they used the, the tactic, like you said, perverting the, uh, perverting the law. And that's why they didn't want any part of me. And I'm, to this day, there is nobody that will ever change my mind that they wanted no part of me in court. I, I would have crucified them. All right. Yeah, if you would have had a, a day, you and, and, and Howell and, and Taylor yeah. all in a room <laughs> with you comparing your version to their yeah. version. But I don't think they they don't seem to differ that much, except I, I maybe I'm misreading some things, but it seems as if they kind of, in this decision, Judge Chan sort of like has it one way and then has it another for instance, she says that you heroically took the knife away. Yeah. And then she says, Howell took the knife away. Right. So you both get credit for that. Yeah, well, you know, it was a big knife. I don't know if it was that big. <laughs> he it, well, picked he, it back up again. Yeah, he didn't have a samurai sword, you know, so. Well, what, uh, what gives? I mean, how, how does that... How, 
this is a weird phenomenon that happened with uh, Terrence Howell. When uh, Terrence Howell testified before the grand jury, and he testified basically saying that he was about to come out, he had opened the door, and then he saw that Gelman was reaching into his jacket. He thought he had a gun, so he went back inside. That is when I believe he was being honest. Then what happens is he probably told that story to the to the city attorneys, and they go, mm, we're going to tweak that a little bit. So here's what we're going to say now. Take notes. Okay. You saw the gun. You saw something metallic, so you came out, stuck your chest out, and said, drop your weapon. And uh, he didn't, so then you used your ninja skills and took him down and disarmed him. And yet, even in the scuffle with a man with a knife, you didn't get a single scratch on you, not a speck of dust, and your uniform looks like it was fully pressed in all the photos post-confrontation. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if, if I ever did have my day in court with Howell and Taylor, uh, three of us would be telling uh, the, a story about the same incident, but only one of us wouldn't have a script. That's... Uh, it's... He is still saying that he took down Gelman. I mean, is that what you're telling me? I thought, yeah. I thought that, that he had testified to, and, and even Judge Chan said that you were credible, that what yeah. you said rings true. Absolutely. So it isn't so much about, like, well, he's not the guy who did this. Right. It's more that, like, well, we just, you know, whatever, that, this loophole thing. Well, uh, to me, that speaks to corruption. So, see, this this was my theory going into so, this. But what I guess what I'm saying, why yeah. do why does Hal and the and, and, and whoever the, the the lawyers why are they why do they why do they lie? Why would they even fabricate that? Because they they're smart enough to know they can twist the law around and use uh, uh, a precedent that was set uh, that was put in place for different sorts of cases and use it for this and then get rid of me and hopefully quiet me down. But that's never going to happen. Uh-huh. The thing with with Chan that uh, she makes she, it's just to me it's the whole corrupt thing because when when I took over the case on my own and I, w- I I went pro se to me in my mind all I needed to do was put some doubt in her mind because in my mind if there's any doubt then I figured well let there be a trial let us have a let me have a trial in front of a jury of my peers because there's that doubt it was never. Terrence Howell's story rings true. My story rings true. She heard the story from the the NYPD side. So now here I am just trying to discredit it even a little bit to put a little doubt in her mind. Mm-hmm. And it's obvious by her dismissal papers, I did that. I succeeded. Mm-hmm. And she still screwed me. Uh-huh. That's where I think the corruption comes in. Well, also in the, in the fact that, uh, you know... The, the loopholes misapplied, mm-hmm. and I think besides that, it you know they said you, they had no special relationship. Yep. That's the word. That's a, some, a phrase they use a lot. Yes. Mm-hmm. Explain to me what what special relationship means. Like the, the cops supposedly had no special relationship with mm-hmm. you, right? Yeah. To mean that they had to protect you. The easiest way it was explained to me, and, and I'll I'll explain it the same way. Um, had I known about the whole Maxim Gelman thing before I got on the train that day. And had I spotted Maxim Gelman, recognized him, and then went up to the officers and said, excuse me, Maxim Gelman's on this train. He's over there. And then they kind of brushed me off. Then we have a special relationship because we've actually had a discussion now, okay? Uh, Because I wasn't aware of it and because I had no idea what was going on prior to everything happening, we don't have a special relationship. So I guess the police 
were safe because they, if they didn't have a conversation with anybody on the train, there was no special relationship with anyone. So they could go in and hang out with the conductor. Maybe he would let them blow the horn or something. I don't know. Mm. Um, but I, I guess as long as there was no conversation with any of the passengers, they were free to stay in there and be chicken shit. Well, that's uh, wrong, of course. Right. But, but I mean, like it's it, the the conditions laid out for special relationship that you have in in the book. Yeah. Uh, and you know the book again, my uh, the New York subway hero, my battle with evil and a spree killer. It almost yeah, like you said, you they wouldn't have any special relationship with anyone. Right. No, no real uh, like obligation to defend any citizen. Right. Because it's. It, you have to like establish a rela- like a speaking relationship with them. Right. You would have to say, uh, "Hey," and I, I like the way you pointed out, like, "Hey, go ahead and talk to police officers. <laughs> have a lot of idle conversation because you never know." Yeah, and, and and listen, and like I've always made very clear, and I make it clear right in the beginning of the book, this is not an indictment of all police officers, but I will say this: if you're a police officer or you're a fireman or someone in the military, things have to work both ways. So if you do something heroic. You deserve every accolade thrown your way, mm-hmm. all right? But if you punk out like these two guys did, well, lady and gentleman mm-hmm. did, then I think you should be held accountable. I think it has to work both ways. If you're going to get the glory when you do something extraordinary, take it. But when you bitch out like these two did, then someone has to be held accountable. Uh-huh. And that's what I really wanted. And if, if we would have gone to trial... And they would have awarded me a dollar and said, you're, you're the victor in the case. You've proven your case. These two are pussies. Here's a dollar. That would have been a victory to me. Yeah. Just vindication. Right. You know? Judge Chan, uh, like, um, she seems to, you know, like, like you said, she, it's almost like she's not hearing you. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and she even says it when, when uh, there was a decision that, that came down that would I, I felt would help my case. Uh, I, sent it, I sent it to her. I sent a copy to her. I sent a copy to the court. And I thought it made a lot of valid points. It's in the book. And she, she says it right in her dismissal. Mm-hmm. It was not taken into consideration. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. So what I, are you serious? Because I'm well within my rights to... Uh, admit that into evidence whatever the term is um be until the decision is made and she flat out says this was not taken into consideration well how come it's in her decision plaintiffs also mailed an unsolicited letter to this court dated april 23rd 2013 the letter was not considered by the court as the motion was fully submitted and uh so this was uh uh uh, philippo Versus NYCTA. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. okay mm-hmm. Now, what was in that decision? That was ironically in that one that there were two officers, two plainclothes officers, and they were chasing a perp down into a subway station. When they chased them down there, they had flashed their badge to the station agent and said, "Call for backup." They end up in a fight with the perp. They get hurt in the fight. The two off-duty cops are undercover. The plainclothes cops get into a fight with this guy. They get hurt. Mm-hmm. They sue the city <laughs> because the station agent never did anything. And apparently all he would have had to do was flip a switch or press a button to get the cops there. 
never did anything. He basically did a good Taylor and Howell imitation and watched from the safety behind a window. So they sued and their case was dismissed. Then they appealed and it was overturned. So to me, while it's not the same, it's actually similar to any of the cases that they presented in their motion to dismiss. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't taken into consideration. And all those cases were, uh, they like, involved orders of protection? Yeah, most of them were orders of protection. There was the case that was similar to mine that involved office furniture. Uh, there was another case that involved exotic cars, um, broken fences, um, locks. All these cases that just sound exactly like mine mm-hmm. that they presented to dismiss my case. Yeah. Um, Someone got stabbed by a lock. Yeah, yeah. You know, a fence was broken and we drove an exotic car through the office furniture portion of it. And oh, full well, view of two officers. Exactly, exactly. We're looking so, for a car. Exactly. I mean, you know, I, th- I think what people need to understand is that I'm so passionate about this because I feel like I'm right. And I, I, I mean, I know I'm right. And, you know, when my lawyer approached me and said, look, I really don't know any way that we can kind of battle this. You have these different options. I felt my best option was to go pro se because no, nobody representing me would be as passionate about it, uh, would never come from the heart like it would come from me. And listen, I, I can't sit here and tell you if you were in trouble or someone else was in trouble, I could come up with uh, opposition papers like I did for myself. But for myself, because it's me and I'm speaking for, uh, firsthand, I put my heart and soul into those papers, and I know they're good. Yeah, and, and she and still chose to ignore them. In her words, the crimes against Mr. Lozito were even made more compelling by his own narrative provided in his opposition. Mr. Lito's pro se opposition papers are thoughtful, eloquently written, and demonstrated his zest and love of life, which mm-hmm. propelled him to survive the attack by Gelman and defend himself. She says, I could see why you lived yeah. by the way you're writing. Yeah, I mean, great writing, by the way. and uh, Well done. Terrific. Yeah. yeah. Des- but. Just as you described it, <laughs> Mr. Lozito described in dramatic detail the blows and defensive maneuvers he used to disarm and take down Gelman. You are a, fi- a fan of the ring. Uh, yeah, ring in the cage. His statements ring true and appear highly credible. Right. And uh, I, I enjoy what you say. You're like, wow, that, that, that felt pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I'm reading it going, this is awesome. Where's my check? <laughs> she says, however. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, here we go. I saw it written in, I think it was in a daily news. They're playing hardball with you. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, they, I don't know, I, it just makes them look so bad. Yeah, I don't know. Is that it? I, I mean, I, I would imagine that was the case because, I, I listen, I met with a with an insurance adjuster for the city, and I gave an interview to that insurance adjuster. This was way in the beginning, mm-hmm. and uh, needless to say, he was impressed with how I spoke. Well, there, I paused, of course, because uh-huh. I was thinking of a word. <laughs> I, he was impressed with everything I said, I, and I could tell. And I mean, this is a guy I'm sure that interviews a lot of people. An insurance adjuster is a no bullshit zone. Yeah, so. I'm sure a lot of the people that he speaks with over the course of his day are either bullshitting him. Uh, they don't know how to speak well. I mean, they could be geniuses, but it doesn't necessarily translate into the spoken word. Uh-huh. I know I could tell by what I was saying registered with him. So I imagine he went back to them and said, we may have an issue here. Yeah. So uh-huh. and that's it. And that's what I'm saying. If if Judge Chan called up right now and said, we're going to have a trial today at 5 o'clock. No prep. Just get your ass here. No problem. Yeah. Because I don't have to memorize anything. I got it all up here. 
Those two be like, oh, shit, where did I put that script that Michael Gibbett gave us? Damn it. I got to find this now. Wait, did I stop him? Did you stop him? Oh, God. So, well, yeah. yeah. I noticed that it changes a lot. Uh, Officer Howell's recollection of the events described how he observed something made of metal in Gelman's hands uh, when Gelman approached the motorman's booth. Uh, and then, uh, you know, he also makes a, a statement. Officer Howell yelled, gun, and, and took cover in the motor. So, okay, now he's sure it's a gun. Yeah, well, and then he didn't yell anything. Maybe he thought, oh, shit, but he never yelled anything. Yeah, and then uh, and then here, Officer Howell ordered Gelman to drop the weapon. Right. It dropped the knife when he had thought it was a knife. So he both, on, 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 in three versions of the story, it seems, he thought it was a gun, he thought it was a knife, and he thought it was, he just saw something metal. It just seems to really cloud the whole thing. Right. And it seems like it's a very simple event mm-hmm. that, like, just the more they talk, the, the more it, it, it kind of, like, throws their version of events into, into question. It says uh, here, uh, in, you know, Judge Chan has written in her decision, and Mr. Lazito heroically maneuvered the knife away from Gelman and subdued him on the subway floor, which is uh, true. Yes. And then uh, we have... And another statement, she says, um, Officer Howell ordered Gelman to drop his weapon, an order that was ignored, and he proceeded to physically remove and recover the knife from mm. Gelman's hand. Yeah, that's amazing. I wish I had seen that. That would probably be something to see. And these are in the same decision. Yeah. And she's made that. It, it seems as if we're just saying whatever. Yeah. Uh, we're just trying to fill up the page here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to get to take this to court. No. Uh so uh, who who cares what we say? Really? Right. Yeah. <laughs> what, that thing you sent, we ignored that. Yeah. I mean, listen, great job, uh, but see you later. Everything you say is true. Yeah, yeah. And clearly you have a lot of passion for this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, if I'm writing a – if I want to do a memoir, I might have you write it for me because you have a zeal for life. But uh, I may even use you as a bodyguard. But as far as this case going to court, I don't think so. Well, the players in this are all – lined up against Joe in some ways. Uh, Terrence Howard, Tamara Taylor, who was such a bad cop, she was neutral, I guess. Uh, and, uh, you know, we also have uh, Judge Chan. Judge Chan, yeah. Um, now, Judge Chan is, uh, I mean, she she's the one that this whole case hinged on. And she chose to um, go a certain way with the decision, saying that, that the cops didn't have any special responsibility. That's that She yes. you know, agreed with that, dismissed the case based on that. Also, that Joe somehow uh, took his own life in his own hands. He, um, yeah. th- th- he bears some responsibility for his own injuries by, oh, I don't know... Um, Fighting off a guy trying to stab him. Yes. Yeah, now, that's, now, uh, that's, that factually doesn't really add up. It, it really doesn't, and What's her motivation to do this? Now, I mean, I think I understand, but, uh, you know, from from your perspective, I, I know that legally she doesn't want to open a can of worms. Absolutely. I mean, because look, the can of worms is actually bigger than just Joe Lazito. Think about every time there's a traffic accident. Could you sue the Department of Transportation because they didn't put a stop sign there? Every time that, you know, you felt that snow should have been removed a certain way. I mean, you really would. You know, city employees can't be perfect all the time. But one moment. Don't we have these kinds of cases that are so frivolous all the time? We do. We do. And, and a vast majority of them, the only ones that ever make the papers are the ones that offend us, much like the, uh, the um, machete guy. Okay. A lot of these do die the same way Joe's did. Okay. Summary motions to dismiss, they just vanish. Oh, I see. And, I mean, you know, look, at the other thing about it is, is there's... 
politics is an ugly business, and people get corrupted in politics, and police unions are an incredibly powerful thing in New York City. They've wildly proclaimed the incompetence of the last four mayors, even so much as turning their backs on funerals and saying they want dead cops, and not just de Blasio. They said that about Bloomberg. They said that about Dinkins. They said that about Giuliani, too. Mm. And, um... You know, she an endorsement from them for re-election would be good, and she's had her own election problems. Joe Joe actually utilized the word corrupt as a judge, and he went on to cite a decision. Now, I don't know that decision. I didn't read it, but I do know that, you know, in a search of her, we found an admonishment. Yeah. An actual judicial admonishment for essentially lying to voters. Yes. She told them she was endorsed by newspapers she wasn't endorsed by and actually used that to raise money. And that's that is corruption. Yes. She's that's that's lying to gain public trust. And you know, what the response was they admonished her, which is the equivalent of they you know, they put it in your permanent record. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's not yes. really a f- effective thing, but she did do that, and that that is somewhat relevant to to his assessment. I mean Joe Joe's not a stupid man. The judge even says it in her decision. The judge goes on quite a great length of saying this was well-written, it was cogent, the arguments were this, they were that, he was he was very smart, and he clearly put a lot of thought and dedication into this. Mm-hmm. Now, an ordinary civilian like Joe seeking justice, that feels good. As a lawyer, I know what that means. Lube up, boy. Mm. It's coming in the rear. Yep, and that is exactly what happened to Joe Zito as she uh, continued with her statement and said, well, very well-written, however, um, too bad. I'm dismissing this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, is there anything else? Um, you, know, you you read Joe's uh, opposition papers? or whatever. I did, so, yes. I did, sort yes. sort of looked over them now. Uh, is, is there anything else that could have been done? Is there, I mean, I, I'm trying to figure out if... I mean, obviously, uh, you know, when, when you go in pro se, um, it's, uh, you're, you've, it's stacked against you. It really is. It, it is stacked against you. And moreover, this... Whereas we all feel a certain way in our gut about what happened and I think most people would agree that if Joe's version of the facts are correct which he has quite a bit of witnesses that say they are in addition to a cop that he's pointed out has changed his story several times yes and uh, could, could do you mind if we detour on that sure for a please yes. so uh, how come at this stage um, this doesn't get in, in they're questioning uh, Terrence Howell and he he's, he's said on several different occasions uh, that he thought it was a knife that he thought it was a gun, that he just saw something metal. Now, why isn't he at any point here, like under oath, held to any of these statements? Because Judge Chan never let it get to court. I, I think an analogy of this case, as I said, this case is not the strongest for Joe, because as I said, of all these things, you're asking to look backwards at police conduct, and courts are incredibly reluctant to do that. And if Joe came to my office for a consult, I would say it's this is going to be a difficult one to get to a hearing or trial stage. But, that this is going to, but regardless. Imagine but, in a perfect world, oh, facts of the case. In a perfect world that he actually got to court, he's got a great case. Mm. I mean, you put this Howell on the stand, and I could cross-examine him. It's like, Officer Howell, reading in the grand jury from page 59, you stated that you believed that this was a gun, did you not? He would respond, I don't recall. Well, let me read it to you. You were asked the question, Officer Howell, did you believe this was a gun? Answer, Officer Howell, yes, I believed it was a gun. Then later, at a deposition, you stated you didn't believe it was a gun. You thought it was a knife. I don't recall that. Well, let me read it to you. You would do this, and this would be courtroom drama. In addition, that I think the jury would sit there thinking, wait, what? The police just sat there and watched this happen? That's appalling. But what I, what I, I guess an analogy I would propose, Pat, is that the problem here is 
Say one of your roommates was a child molester. Wait, hold on. Is, yeah. Do we have to? Is that the analogy we have? All right, so let me come up with a better one. Okay. <laughs> I mean, go ahead. But. All right, say one of your roommates is dealing drugs. Okay. And you know it. You see people come and go. You've seen them, you know, mixing the stuff. You're not involved, but mm. you know he's doing it. And you know he's doing it for a drug ring that's a pretty bad guys that, you know, kill people and, you know, extort people and stuff like that, right? Wait, wait, let's go back and do child molesting. Okay, child molesting. <laughs> no, don't Child molesting, yeah, no. Whatever, child molesting, drug dealing, whatever. I've got the goods on my This roommate. guy, and you do nothing. And then later the police bust him. And, you know, one of the victim's parents sues you for knowing and not doing anything. Now, that's not a great case to get into court because what was your responsibility to do anything? People really know me. They're like, he doesn't, he's not going to do anything. Yeah, right. And so it's like, there's not a really good one. Now, if a judge decided that should go to court, mm -hmm. you're done for. Right. You know, I mean, that's the analogy of what happened to Joe Lazito here. Yeah. Everybody thinks what happened to him was wrong. And I actually agree. And I disagree with Judge Chan's decision. I think that the very nature of this situation, that this wasn't an ordinary citizen who simply didn't do anything. These were police officers set out to prevent the exact kind of harm that happened to Joe Lizzie. These are not some 40-year-old stand-up comedians. Uh, yeah, exactly. Stuff. These are guys that are, this, you know, he's trained officer, uh, mm -hmm. how large guy, you know, uh, taller than Lizzie, and, and, and strong, and obviously armed, had the element of surprise. Joe will point all this out, and he, as he does in his book. Uh, it's called uh, The New York Subway Hero, My Battle with Evil, and A Spree Killer. That's by Joseph J. Luzito, and we will uh, uh, give you the address where that's available. I also have a special deal where uh, you can get a signed copy of Joe Luzito's book, The New York Subway Hero, and I'll be talking about that. And you should buy it because let's give somebody who did something for what potentially all eight million of us the compensation that the city officials have simply refused to do so. Absolutely. I mean, this is, this is money that doesn't go to anybody but Joe. Absolutely. And uh, well worth it because yeah. it's a good read. And it's um, it's a fascinating study in both violence and bureaucracy. Yeah. It's, and what's worse, you know, and, yeah. and, and what's more difficult to conquer. Because, you know, the physical uh, violence Joe could overcome, but the bureaucracy is, uh, in the end, unbeatable, uh, strangled by red tape and unable to appear in court. Case dismissed by a corrupt judge. It's quite a story. And normally I say you're just hyperbolizing things. I think you're dead on right there. I mean, you have an actual documented history of corruption with her. A blood-splattered case uh, yeah. of murder, deceit. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but uh, uh, we're talking to, uh, I am a defense attorney uh, from Mazzy and Polk, Jim Polk. Uh, and they, they make justice work for you is what they do. Say, uh, you know, say, you've, say you're a spree killer. You're, you've killed three. And uh, you're working on a fourth. You've killed four now. And, and you go, well, damn, I, I need a lawyer, right? Well, yeah. right. now uh, he went with a, you know, a, a, a court-appointed attorney. Yes, he Gelman did. Gelman did, didn't he? See what did he get? 200 years. Yes, he did. Pled guilty and uh, got the full time. No deal, no guarantee, no nothing. They didn't even cut it down to 150 years. Yeah. I... There's not a ray of hope in there. There's no sunshine for, for Maxime no. Gelman now and uh, none deserved. However, uh, if you're a criminal and... If you're not a criminal, if you've been accused of a crime, I like to say if you've been accused of a crime, because you're not a criminal until you've been convicted, well, you need to call Jim Polk. What's the number that they can reach you? It's 516-280-9035. Uh, Wait, I never get that right the first time. 516-280-9035. 
3-5. And that's your office number. That's my office. I also have a cell phone. You do have a cell phone. And, and, and here's the thing. He's, you, you give your cell phone number out give freely. Give my cell phone out freely. And um, I'm available to you. Well, what's the cell phone it's number? 516-587-9786. 516-587-9786. You got it. Jim Polk. Making justice work so, for you, whether it wants to or not. The attorney's reasons why you're not to uh, that you're not going to be able to take this to court. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me. Uh, I'm laughing right now I, because yeah, that it's... these attorneys somehow came up with. Yeah, this is the one that really stands out for me, Joe. Uh, Let's see right. if it's the one that really stands out for me. Well, it says that you. This is basically your own fault. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You. You. Uh, you. You screwed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you brought this on yourself. I did. I did. Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's true. I did. Uh, I thought I was just going to work that day, but oh, you know me and it, mischief. Yeah, it says here, uh, uh, plaintiff's culpable conduct caused or contributed, which nice alliteration. Nice, right? Yeah. Legal people. In, yeah. in whole or in part to uh, his, her, or their. They're not sure what you are. Right. Your injuries uh, and or damage. I know if I was Bruce Jenner, that right. <laughs> so, you know, but... And by the way, why does anyone, not to get off topic, but uh, who gives a shit if he's becoming a woman, honestly? Why do people care? And, and here's the thing. why There are people that are doing the same thing that are not celebrities that are going through a hell of a lot worse time than him. So why the fuck do we give a shit about Bruce Jenner? You know, the only thing I can say is that when I was a kid, Bruce Jenner was, uh, you know, he was he was the shit. Yeah, but as we both know, you haven't been a kid for or... a long time. <laughs> Nor have I. But that's what it is. That's why there's interest, I but think. But the people who are interested right now don't know him as the athlete. They know him as uh, Chris Kardashian's uh, husband. That is true. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's um, your culpable conduct. <laughs> and you caused it. And, and I know what people are wondering. Like, uh, if you know the story, right, how did you cause uh, and, and con- or contribute in whole or in part. It might be all your fault, they're saying. I think it, it might be, be in whole your fault. You mean the whole incident or you mean all the murders or just my incident? Right. Because I didn't I didn't quite understand where they were what they were getting at there. Uh, uh well, they were saying that like the fact that you got attacked yeah. could be all your fault. I mean it probably was because had I chosen a different seat that day, maybe it wouldn't happen. Well, what they say mm-hmm. is that at all times mentioned, uh, you knew uh, or should have known in the yeah. exercise of reasonable care of the risks, dangers, uh, uh, and, and dangers incident to engaging in the activity uh, alleged. That's yep. uh, the activity of uh, fighting for your life. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I guess they're right. There is a risk in that. Mm. Yeah. You might get killed. Yeah. I mean, it could happen. <laughs> I mean, a guy comes at you with a knife, <laughs> might happen. That must have been a lot of blood. Oh yeah, it was a lot of blood. Yeah, and there's a there's a if you go on Getty Images, there's actually a picture of it, I believe, and uh, and there's a lot in that picture, but it's not even all of it because a lot of it seeped into my clothes and uh, my backpack that day. Yeah, when I got the backpack back, it smelled like ass. <laughs> so, I mean, they gave it back to me, and it was like, because listen, I'm a guy. It's like I'm always gonna be like, like I'll smell it, and like I, I I went to put it to my nose to smell it. I got like a foot away, and I was like, oh. Yeah. Like, I thought they put a dead animal in there or something. <laughs> oh, my but, God. Yeah. It says you, uh, plaintiff failed to use all required, proper, and appropriate and reasonable safety devices. Yeah, this one is one of my favorites. And or equipment. Yeah. Uh, you, you failed to, uh, and you also failed to take, this is where you failed in this, Joe. Yes. You failed to use all required, proper, 
appropriate and reasonable safety devices and or equipment and you failed to take all proper appropriate and reasonable steps Mm -hmm. to assure your own safety right uh i did not wear my suit of armor that day if that's what they're getting at plaintiff's primary assumption of risk solely caused either his injuries and damage and uh, the cops the defendants owed no duty to you joe Mm -hmm. with respect to the risk assumed right uh it will be claimed that the injuries and damages were caused by the failure of Joe to use available seat belts yes. and other safety devices. And then, and now, the the <laughs> if anyone's ridden and <laughs> taken a subway in New York, I've yet to find a seat belt. And I, I like how they put other safety devices. Like, they're just everywhere. Yeah, other things. <laughs> Did you? I mean, that's the thing about subways, though, because there's never any seats because of all the space taken up by the safety devices. <laughs> you know, it's just the stupidest thing. I mean, it's just. And, and the funny thing is, like, how. I hope when they were writing that, they at least laughed when they were writing it. Like, they oh, we're going to screw this guy. Look how funny this is. Yeah. Like, I hope they weren't like, oh, yeah, there are safety devices, you know. I, I mean, I hope they at least laughed about it. And, and, and if this, it, if there were seatbelts, imagine if I was wearing one, I'd be like, wait, hold on, don't stop stabbing me so I can take my seatbelt right. off. Yeah. yeah the I'm, lawyers I'm, came out and said, they, they literally told you, mm-hmm. it's your fault mm-hmm. for getting stabbed on the train. You mm-hmm. didn't have your seatbelt on. Right. Yep. Well, good night, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is... Uh, yeah, and I'm the crazy one for wanting to bring this to court, by the way. I, I'm not... Uh, now, did they release the grand jury transcript in your case? I don't believe so. No, okay. No. Uh, but there is one, and it's not mm-hmm. and it's not available to be seen. As far as I know. Okay. I wish it was. Yeah. I mean... I was excellent in it, from yeah. what I hear. <laughs> I mean, I was nervous as hell, and... You know, I, I know I got emotional, I cried and everything, but from what I hear, I, I, it was very impactful. Uh, I mean, at that point, I just wanted to get this asshole in jail, you know, and, and it was easy because it just said, tell me what happened. So I did. Your story stayed consistent the entire time. Well, at it's first, easy when you tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> but at first, you, you gave too much credit to the cops. I did. Um, and, and not the cops specific, cops in general. Uh, you know, look... As I say in the book, I always had my suspicions about what happened. But uh, when it first happened, it really was about Gelman. And, um, you know, I I, I just didn't... I'm not the type that looks for attention. I'm not the... You know, when everything was going on, the whole media thing and the hero stuff and... Well, and and, and being cut open, you know. Yeah. You're trying to not die. Yeah, I mean, when all that was when all that was going on, it's not me. Like that's just not who I am. Like I, I'm a father. I'm a husband. That that's who I am. The whole media stuff. I mean, I did it. And and listen, I I can speak and I I could speak well. I guess at, at some points, but only if I know what I'm talking about. And I would always try to defer the attention to people that like police officers, good ones that put their life on the line or firemen or things like that, because those are, you know, listen, I defended myself and I got a murderer off the street. That's a once in a lifetime thing. But these are people that put their lives on the line every day. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm giving them credit thinking that they're going to do their job. And what happened was when after I had testified, 
you know, obviously, if you're not that familiar with it, then you go home and you put my name in Google and stuff like that, and you see everything that happened, and you read my interviews and you hear my interviews, and I'm always trying to defer the praise. And um, when this grand juror came to my job, he's like, "Listen, you got to stop doing that. They hung you out to dry," and and it just snowballed from there. Yeah. Now so. this guy, uh, you never you divulge his identity. No, and uh, we didn't actually. I don't think he introduced himself to me. And if he did, I forgot his name right after that. And and honestly, if I remembered his name, I wouldn't. No, of course it, not. Know? Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't. Well, that's not why he came to you. No, and and that's it. You know, I mean, he's a good guy. I mean, I don't know how many people were in there, and he actually made the effort to come and talk to me, and I'll always be appreciative of that. Now, I don't know if he broke some kind of law or something like that, but even if I knew his name, I would never give it up. Yeah, that's just that's just me. That's that to me. That's how everyone should be. That's integrity. You know, this is a guy that went out of his way to help me out. So you know, I and would, he obviously doesn't want the attention. Right, or he would have gone to the media. Exactly. So uh, if and I and it's God's honest truth. I'm terrible with names. I don't remember his name. If he even told me, mm-hmm. but even if I did remember, that it would go to the grave. Yeah, uh, it's. Uh, but he was able to prove that he was on the grand jury by the discussing the content of the photographs. Yeah, they showed um, four pictures to the grand jury of of my face and my head after everything had happened before it was uh, repaired, and mm. they were gruesome pictures. And I had actually told the DA, um, if this does go to trial, I, I, the day that these are presented, I don't want my family there because I mean, you know, in a couple of them, you could see my skull. Mm. You know, I mean, my head. It looked like. One of the Halloween masks with the stuff flapping, you know, before you tuck it into your collar. That, that's what my skin looked like. Yeah. And it was just, I mean, honestly, I'm not even doing this for dramatic effect. To see the looks on these people's faces when they, <laughs> I don't know if it's the same thing. You get called for jury duty, so you think you're going in for, for something, and now you're going to see a person's brain. Um, it was hard. It, it was horrible. Yeah. And uh, just, a, I mean, some people couldn't even look at them. They'd just take it. Because if you, if, if there's someone to my right looking at the picture, I could glance over and you saw blood, you saw red, you saw this. It ju- you just saw carnage. So if I don't want to look at that, I'll grab the picture and just give it to the person next to me. I don't even want to look at it. Uh-huh. Um, and because those pictures haven't been made public, when he was able to describe them to me, I knew that he wasn't, he wasn't full of shit. So then I believed him. And uh, and so they they looked at the photos and did they also sniff the backpack? <laughs> they didn't. They might have. I'm, I'm sure one or two of them would have. But that's only for disgusting people like me. So yeah. But no, they that was still in that was still evidence at the time. So uh, that was only for special people who may have sniffed it. And so you were you were grateful and and, and glad that they uh, that it didn't go to trial that he pled guilty and you could like go ahead and, and move ahead with your civil case because that that resolved the criminal case. But there was one thing you had to do, and that was not a have to. It was something you chose to do, was to go speak to uh, Gelman directly at, at, with your victim impact statement, which was awesome. Oh, thank you. And 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 this to me, this interview that we're doing right now speaks volumes to the first thing that I said. We've been speaking now for maybe over an hour. Mm. We've barely talked about Gelman. Barely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've barely talked about the guy who tried to lobotomize me. Yeah. Which I think it just lends credence to my point where this should be the focus of this. Mm-hmm. But he's not. Yeah. Which I'm sure would piss him off because I know he's just an attention whore and he's like, oh, what about me? I'm the, I, I stabbed you, you know? <laughs> you know, so. But I mean. It he, just, oh, so he does own up to that. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. He doesn't own up to me stopping him, though. Right, uh, exactly. Yeah, that wasn't me. That was uh, Howell. So. It's amazing that he does that. Well, it's good that the murderer and the police are on the same page. Right. So. <laughs> You're the one he's angry at. Well, yeah, th- yeah. he's like all pissed off. He's like, what'd you stop me for? You know, I wanted to kill you and then take over the train, you know, and you uh, fucking stop me, bastard. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's like. A nosy bald guy. Yeah, yeah, nosy bald guy. I like that one. So, <laughs> Which was actually my bio on Twitter for a while. Really? I just, yeah, I put nosy bald guy on there. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I remember when your when your Twitter said uh, uh, hoping, praying for uh, uh, for Lazito Gelman too. Yeah, I was, but then, and then you know I changed it because again he's he's on the undercard now. I'm already done with him. Right now it's now it's Lozito yeah. versus NYC and now that is over. Or is, yeah. it, is there a, is there an appeal process? Is there anything else you can do? Um, I think right now it's kind of dead in the water. I, um, you know, for for an appeal, I I made uh, I made overtures to uh, Gloria Allred and things like that because I honestly think a case like this needs a high profile person. Um, and I don't know. And all, all, all red, not interested. Not interested. There was a few others I reached out to. And, and, and you know then, what's funny is that and Keith Robinson said this the other day on a show that, like, when I see Gloria All Red, I know that someone's full of shit. Right. Yeah. So it almost makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's because it's society. It shouldn't be who's representing you, it should be the case. But in our society, it's not always the case. I mean, think about it. Everyone knows who Sanford Rubenstein is. Yeah. Everyone knows who Gloria Allred is. Uh-huh. You know, you do, there, there's a lawyer right now somewhere in New York City that is working hard to do things the right way. That's Jim Polk, Mazzy and Polk. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But nobody knows him except us. Right. But you know Sanford Rubenstein and you know Gloria Allred. So that's my point is that I think I have a case that stands on its own, but it doesn't. I need, I need someone like that. And actually... There's someone who I think could have helped. We could have helped each other. I'm going to blow you away with this, but I think there's merit to it. Not not a not a judge, but a politician. There's one politician out there that mm. I think. I mean, obviously. Oh, then I got to get to three other politicians. Oh, there's a politician out there that's had some turmoil in his life that I think could have helped me, and I could have helped him. Is it uh, Governor Spitzer? No, no. But you're you're sort of on the yeah yeah. Bill Clinton. No, I mean he definitely could have helped me, but no. <laughs> how, how about my uh, Michael Weiner? Okay, and Anthony I'll tell Weiner. You, Anthony Weiner. Yeah. Michael Weiner was M- MLB. Anthony Weiner, who I and I'll tell you why. Anthony Weiner was a guy who was a cage rattler. Uh-huh. All right, before he was sending pornographic pictures to himself, uh, to his friends. Um, he's a cage rattler, and he would piss people off because if he felt something needed to be done, he would go 100 miles an hour to get it done. Okay, mm-hmm. and he wasn't the typical politician, blah 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 blah, falling in line with everything, everyone else. He was a guy who spoke his mind, and if you didn't like it, too bad. Now all of a sudden, mm, pictures come out. Now he's not really in the public eye anymore. Mm-hmm. I need someone who has connections. Okay, and now if Anthony Weiner helps me, now he's back in the public eye, doing a good thing. Yeah. Helps me out, but it also shows that he he's helping others. It would yeah, it would do wonders for his image. That's what I think. But again, I approached him and I get no reply. Yeah. But he's the guy. Now speaking of politicians, speaking of the New York Post, back when I was reading the paper, when everything was going on with the police, 
I remember reading an article about these three politicians, um, Scott Stringer, Scott M. Stringer, uh, Letitia James, yeah, and Eric Schneiderman. Yes, the uh, attorney general. Yeah, no, state, state attorney general. Something like that. And Letitia James, the uh, public advocate. Yeah. So they're in the paper, basically saying, uh, you know, the public needs people to help them get justice, right? Like we're going to help people now. There's too much nonsense going on in the city with the police. Blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna be there for people. We're gonna help people get justice. Yeah. So I'm going. Really? Yeah. I might have something for you. Right? So uh, no emails were ever answered. So I decided I'm going to tweet them every single day. And maybe I'll get an answer. Never an answer. There was one thing that happened, though. Yeah. Scott Stringer, he blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> so, <laughs> so again, and this is what I'm talking about. And, and to me, again, it, it speaks volumes because they're frauds. Most politicians are frauds because don't go don't have a press conference saying that you're gonna i want to help people i want to do this i want to do that people need justice this and that you're in 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 tish james she's a public advocate yeah okay so here's something where maybe you can help yeah and that's why i think most politicians are full of shit and most politicians just fall in line with the rest of them and that's why wiener i think because he's not afraid to go outside the box Oh, no. Well, I mean... We're outside the pants. Yeah, yeah. so he's not afraid of that, where I think he would have been perfect for me. He would have been, and yeah. it would have been... Uh, yeah, and it, I think you would have been perfect for him. I, I, that's what I said, I, and I, I tweeted him a few times. I said, I think we could really help each other out, but nothing. I, yeah, you know, it's hard to get in touch with these people. How, how do you feel on the subway these days? We're looking at four years. Um, it sucks. I, I hate it. I mean, I hate going to the city every day. Uh, I was always kind of... Uh, never one for crowds and i mean that's the definition of new york city everything is a crowd Mm -hmm. it's not just the subway i mean it's everywhere if i never i mean i really wish lincoln center would consider moving the entire campus to belmore oh yeah that would really help me out (laughs) um so i wouldn't have to have to go to the city every day well yeah i wouldn't miss it i mean i I'm, i'm not there are people that thrive on the whole city atmosphere they love it you know they 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 just they feel electric when they go there and everything. And that's just not me. It's not in my personality. So I don't like it. I never liked it. Um, but it's just I have to do it. I have to feed my family so I don't have any other option. Um, Going to catch a lion, you got to go to the jungle. Exactly. Exactly. So, And I've caught one lion so far. So we'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah, <laughs> man. You did catch that lion. Yeah. <laughs> and I hate to say it. And, and that's the other thing that really bugs me is that they really the city has put me in a position to talk about myself and defend my, you know defend myself and and talk about what I did that day where I don't like to do that yeah. you know and, and they've really forced my hand to say I did this I did that and that's just not me yeah you have to keep reaffirming it yeah unfortunately so. uh, you know but I mean it's uh, it, it, you're right I, I never thought of it that way yeah. but they kind of force you into that box exactly I have to keep saying it and I and even like the whole when the newspapers don't call me subway hero it's like that's not me i'm joe you know like uh, but that's what happens and and when you get called a subway hero you get called a subway hero for a reason like when you stop a killer while the police are bitches and stay in there imagine if you know you hadn't have been there 
and he attacked someone else, and the cops just let it happen. I wonder at what point they would have, uh, you know, because they didn't come out until you had him on the ground. Right. What would it take? Maybe they would have waited till he tired himself out. Yeah. You know, like when he took a break, maybe take a sip of water or something. Until they, you know. Well, it was a, it was a local stop. Yeah. So they, you know, like maybe everybody would run off the train. Yeah. Like now the cra- the train was going very slow at the time, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, that's between thirty fourth and forty second. Yep. And so the train was going so slow because they're looking on the tracks mm-hmm. for him. Yes. He's standing behind them. Yes. Now you say that that they failed to recognize him, but I don't think they did. No, no, I didn't say they failed to recognize him. They're oh, saying that. Oh. I know they recognize him. Well, because it's it's common sense. You report for duty that day, they show you the mugshot and go, we're going to get this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at that point, especially for someone like Terrence Howell, if you can't remember a mugshot an hour later or whatever, then really, and I mean, I know he shouldn't be a cop, but he definitely shouldn't be a cop. They recognized him. Of course they well, did. Well, see, I didn't know if I read that wrong or not, but I thought Chan restated you as saying that, like, that you claimed that they didn't recognize him, but that could be my mistake or that could be her mistake. I'm not sure, but, uh, but oh, you, I know they recognize Well, I, I think in, maybe I did write that in, in like, legalese. uh Fail, maybe fail to recognize an act, whatever I had written, but I, there's no way that they... Oh, fa- yeah. they, they failed to uh, take action quickly. Yeah, okay. like, whatever that was. But yeah, there's no way. Yeah. Uh, maybe and, Taylor didn't recognize him because Howell's big head was blocking the window because he wanted a good view of the fight. So she yeah. may not have had an opportunity to see him. Right. So, and, and there is a window there. There is a window. And so he's, he's you know, right there. Yeah. I mean, he had the best seat in the house. He's got a good view, and he's in zero danger. I like your statement here uh, to um, to uh, your victim impact statement. Your Honor, I don't wish to take up much of the court's time. As this guy here has a lot of time, he has to start serving. Yes. Be zinging from sentence one. I'm telling you. You know, the, the reason why I went that route is because he had to, um, he had to be sentenced in Brooklyn a couple of weeks earlier than that. Yeah, he put 200 years. Yeah, right? and he was really an asshole to the families that were there. Mm. And you can tell he what he was doing was getting a rise out of them and laughing and mocking them and things like that, you know, calling Yelena a whore and this and that. Junkie, you know? Yeah, so I said, he's not going to get to me, and he's not going to humiliate me, and he's not going to have his way with me. So I wanted to attack him basically right from the start. And you wanted to physically attack him on some level, didn't you? It says, without even, yeah. I'm reading from your book, without yeah. even realizing it, when he entered the courtroom, I immediately shot up out of my seat. Yeah. The burly court officer <laughs> looked at me and instructed me to sit down. I Probably just reaction, instinct, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, this is a man who tried to hurt me, a man who tried to kill me. Oh, yeah. Okay, I see. It wasn't a show of respect or something. No, no, no. It wasn't like church or when the judge comes in or anything. No, and I I think it was, uh, you know, a lot of my, I guess, my primal instinct that we all have was kind of tapped into during the whole incident. And something that I think is in us all. And for most of us, we go through our whole lives and we don't need to access that. Um, But I guess it was probably just survival because this is a person that attacked me when I was sitting down. And uh, uh, maybe it was just, uh, st- I, I can't really, I think if I could explain it, I it would be because I did it on purpose. And I, I didn't, so I don't really have a 
rational explanation. You're I'm observing just, it just like we are. I'm just throwing it out there. I honestly don't know. It, it, it's it's fascinating that okay. they. I mean, because and, and it's and it's a really interesting read because like and I was telling you when you read this book, it's like I'm having a conversation with you. Yeah. It's written. Uh, in, in a really conversational style, exactly how you talk, yeah, and it's uh, and it's it's highly informative, and uh, you know we get to you know know something about you and your life as well. It's really well, thank you, uh, and 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 the legal stuff which you do include and yeah. which you do break down. Uh, I mean to say it's in layman's terms is uh, is the highest compliment because it's like if I can understand this, yeah. uh, then anybody can, and really. Um, you know, uh, it. I, I gotta say, I, here's something I did not know: that your lawyer uh, jumped off. It's, it's Ed. Uh, help me with the name. Chuck Mackian. Chuck Mackian, mm-hmm. who um, initially you approached and and, and liked because of his no nonsense yeah, style. Yeah, absolutely. And and he uh, he held on until, but after the dismissal, he's like, I, I really don't know what to do. Well, no, it was before the dismissal. Oh. It was. Uh, it basically, you know, he had. He had, or when they had made the motion to dismiss, I mean, he made they made the motion to dismiss. I think we, he had a court appearance um, because I didn't go to court any of the times because be, you're basically talking to the clerks, you're not in front of the judge or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had gone a few times, and then you know he he has his own practice, but he obviously you have lawyer buddies, and you try to figure something out. And he basically said, "Look, I don't know any way around this." And he warned me the first day I met him, "This is what they're going to do." And we have to figure out a way around this. And he said he really couldn't figure out a way around this this uh, motion to dismiss. And he wanted to give me the option of either withdrawing the complaint or finding another lawyer or do whatever. He felt I would be better served with someone else. So mm-hmm. I appreciated his honesty because he could have, if he honestly felt that way, he could have just been there when I crashed and burned. Mm-hmm. So, um, but at that point, it was we had already asked for an adjournment or two. I felt like if I had asked for another one to start with a new lawyer, I didn't think that was in my best interest. I didn't know if they'd grant me that. So I actually showed up in court and I asked for an adjournment just for a short period of time since I was representing myself pro se now that I could get my stuff together. And so you acted as your own lawyer. Yes. And um, apparently represented yourself remarkably well. Oh, that's what Judge Chan says. I mean, to the extent that uh, you know, you, you, the case was still dismissed, but you, you, you know, made a a, a valiant effort, uh, and that's that's saying a lot. That's really saying a lot. If it, it should there be anybody ever who who you know doubts you, I mean, all you got to do is look at the scars on his head, and and then there's no doubt. But the fact that you're you represent yourself pro se uh, in this case. And spend all this time. Uh, that's not that's not a guy who's looking for a payday. No, it was it, it, it was a, like a full time job at that point to prove a point. There was many days where I would go to my regular job, and then I would come home, spend some time with my family. They would go to bed, and then I'd be on the computer. the The corporation counsel they have volumes and volumes and shelves and shelves of book and legal this and legal that. I have Google. And everything I did was just on the computer and researching the cases that they were throwing at me and uh, did my best. And, uh, you know, listen, I'm fortunate. I have a full-time job, so it's not that uh, I'm looking to retire. Um, Had they given us any financial compensation, I have two young sons. That would go right to their college fund, maybe pay off some debt or whatever. But like I said, if, if we had gone to trial and my award was a dollar, 
and they I won the case, that would have been fine with me. Yeah, I mean, not, not, not the not the absence of an award for you, but how quickly they will pay somebody right. who has a meritless case. Yeah, they just go, yeah, well, you know, okay, here I have this, and and they can come to an agreement on that. Right, because uh, the guy with the machete is like, wait a second, they're going to give me five thousand dollars. Okay, yeah, take that. And then how about the guy with the machete at home going, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> wait a second. I so, can use five grand. Yeah, I can use Are you kidding me? I have a car I have a car note. I have rent coming up. Let me see. $5,000. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And of course, you know, he was suing for like a million. Well, the funny thing, yeah, <laughs> that's the funny thing. And that's funny because what what's and this is what I was saying about uh, media reports. Um, never ever ever once in the whole process did Ed or myself ever say a figure that we were going for. Right. Because honestly, we never got to that point. Yet I had read in one report I was asking for a million dollars. I'd read in another report I was asking for 10 million. Not the case. So if anyone researches me and comes up with that, that's total bullshit. Uh, we never got to the point where we discussed anything because the city never gave us any impression they were going to go to the table. So it never came up. But yeah. yet, those are two of the reports that I read about what we were asking for, and it's just not the case. And what, you wonder where that comes from. Yeah, unnamed sources. Yeah. <laughs> so, just, just thin air, really. Yeah, so I mean, I, I have no idea. And the only two people that really were ever going to comment on it were Ed and myself. You know, it wasn't like Andrea said anything, or she was never going to comment on it. So, um, and, and really, as far as the case goes, it was it, everything was my call. I mean, Andrea and I were in it together. Um, but it really was everything was my call. So if I had said to Andrea, look, we're going to try to get 50 million, she would have been okay with that. If I had said we're going to try to get $50, she would have been okay with that because it really it affected us as a family, but ultimately uh, mostly me. Uh-huh. So it was she basically just deferred to me. Uh, you, so. And how lucky are you to have her? How lucky you might have her? Yeah. Well, we didn't fight this morning, so I'll say I'm pretty lucky. <laughs> no, she's. Uh, Listen, I am. I, I have uh, many things that I'm grateful for. I have a wife. I have uh, my kids, and um, you know, like I was actually having. I was at the eye doctor today, and um, they were uh, talking about the case, and I just said, you know, the fact that I'm able to speak about it and come home to my kids and my wife and everything. It, you know, I'm like Lou Gehrig. I'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth. There you go. So. I think she's lucky to have me, though. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I'm no prize. Don't get me wrong. But look, you, you, you are the luckiest woman. Woman. I mean, listen. To look at me, I'm no prize. But like, I do laundry. I I cook sometimes. You know, I take out the garbage. So yeah, occasionally uh, kill a a take down a spree killer. Yeah, once in a while. You know, listen. You know, in the book, you describe the the commute that you made, and uh, you know, from Philly, and it's like every 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 page of this is, is so consistent with your character as a devoted family man, and it's uh, it it you know, I'm not a family man myself. I haven't, I haven't, hell, I haven't been married for years. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's uh, it, it looks all right, man. You yeah. Know, uh, yeah. No, I mean, listen, it's not it's not for everybody. My, you know, people, you know, everyone grows up differently. And I know, like, if you ask my mom, she's even said, like, from a young age, I always talked about getting married and having kids. And, um, like, I don't know how to say it. And I know a lot of times people don't get the whole fatherhood, motherhood thing. But to me, 
there's nothing I'll ever accomplish in my life that's better than having my sons and watching them grow up. And to me, my job is now to make them productive members of society. And if they become that, I've done my job. Oh, so is there any way you could make help uh, make me a productive member of society? I get... That's uh, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> so I could try, but I'll need more time. All right, you know, hey, we, that's, that's all right. I, yeah, I'm gonna live forever. Yeah, definitely. Hey, uh, only the good die young. Thanks for. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Joe, this has been a lengthy talk. Thanks for hanging out. Oh no, well, it's my house. I appreciate it. So yeah, right. I'm not going anywhere. I live here. <laughs> Get out! <laughs> yeah. No, I, listen. I, I, I and as always, I say this to you. You know, it's just the two of us. But you're you're one guy, and there are there are a few of you that have stood by me from day one. And you you have helped me a lot with with your support and your friendship. And I'll always appreciate that. I I wouldn't be doing the show if it wasn't for you. Uh, the the another thing that's my fault. Right. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Joe says, but uh, yeah, this is all. Uh, you you have if you enjoy New York City yeah. Crime Report, the man you have to thank, Joe Lazito. Thanks, Joe. No problem, Pat. Thank you, Jim. Is there anything just in closing that uh, you could do for Joe Lazito? I mean, like if you were to advise Joe, or I mean, is, is... I mean, I'm not a civil lawyer, but I would say this might be an interesting case for an appeal. This would be one that's interesting. The Court of Appeals is getting more left wing, they're finally starting to look at some of the actions of the police, and this would be a precedent-setting case that they would probably hear. And I, I, I would definitely help them. And realistically, I'd like to compliment you on something, Pat, and I don't, I'm loathe to do this. Um, <laughs> of course. Because of the years of insults I've endured at the hands of your, uh, your comedic sense. Um, no, but I mean, honestly, this case, like all great crimes, um, Joe Lazito went on a few talk shows. He was got a nice write-up in the paper, and then he was largely forgotten about. And he's been forced, literally. Now he's writing his own legal briefs and publishing his own book. That's how much we've abandoned him. And you're one of the only outlets that I know of, probably the only one that's really keeping the awareness of, of a real hero of New York City alive. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Jim. And you know what? I'm, I'm just grateful to Joe that he'll, that he'll actually sit here and talk to us. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it, it's always a pleasure. And his story is um, it's, it's worth telling. And so um, you know, there is a, it is important. as It's movie-like. It has uh, like, uh, like connotations that really go into the, to our day-to-day lives when you talk about police not having a responsibility to defend people that are in the room, that are on the subway car, that are in the elevator that are uh, in the stairwell thing when you think about it 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 truly is and know that that you know you the cops are not necessarily honor bound to help you um as Joe says yes (laughs) make sure to uh start as many personal conversations with the police as you can Uh, establish some special relationships along the way (laughs) And uh, thank you, Jim, for having uh, the conversation. We do appreciate it. Thank you for listening to New York City Crime Report. Is it over?